10-3 is brought to you by Callaway. Chrome Soft isn't just another tour ball, it's the golf ball that's changing how tour balls are made. When Callaway made a low compression, low spin tour ball, others said they might be onto something and tried doing the same. But they can't. Because Chrome Soft is the only ball engineered with a graphene-infused dual soft fast core for serious speed and unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself why everyone was playing and loving Chrome Soft. Order the ball that changed the ball at CallawayGolf.ca. A known killer walks out of a mental health facility on a day pass. He doesn't return, and it's believed he has fled the country. The public isn't even told this has happened for 11 days. Now, you'd be forgiven for asking what the heck happened here, because it did happen in Toronto, and officials are still demanding answers. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at how this possibly could have happened, what the fallout has been, and whether it's possible to even get this person back into custody. Don't forget, subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode, and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Brian Lilly is a columnist for the Toronto Sun. So, Brian, tell me, who is Jebin Kong? He's a 47-year-old man on the run, is who he is. Uh, back in 2014, this fellow who, um, you know, there's a lot we don't know about him. I don't actually know if he's a, a Canadian citizen. We know he's uh, originally from China, so he is a Chinese national. In 2014, he killed his roommate, butchered him with a meat cleaver, and was charged, went on trial, was found not criminally responsible, and he's been dealing with this organization in Toronto called the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health for the last five years. And then on July the 3rd, he walked out the front door on a day pass, never came back, and we kind of think he's in China right now, but we're not sure. Okay, so he's he's been in this Centre for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto for, for about five years. Why was he housed there? Is this Is this typically a place where they house people who are found not criminally responsible or kind of describe a bit about this CAMH? It's a type of place that will deal with a wide variety of patients and it is a, uh, a health facility. It's not a prison. You know, I remember years ago ch- uh, touring the psychiatric prison wing of a hospital in eastern Ontario. This is not like that. There are secure areas, uh, but it's not set up like a prison. And so they're treating people who are dealing with anxiety, that are dealing with depression, that are dealing with addictions, suicidal thoughts. The full gamut of mental health care takes place at the, uh, everyone locally calls it CAMH. So the, it's the full range of mental health services, but they also have some people who are in there under the not criminally responsible moniker. That's what you get when you committed a crime, but you were not of sound mind when you committed it. If you think of TV shows, well, he got off on a plea of insanity. It's kind of like that, but you're not, you don't get off scot-free. You go to a center like Cam H. And so he's been getting treatment there. He's been taking meds, dealing with doctors, therapists. But there's an organization called the Ontario Review Board that if within the province of Ontario, you were found not criminally responsible, their job is to review your case on a regular basis and determine if you are still a threat to the public. Well, just this last May, he was deemed likely to reoffend. Now, remember what he's in for. Mm-hmm. He chopped up his roommate with the meat cleaver, and they looked at him and said, he's likely to reoffend. To me, that means 
they think he'll kill again. Yeah. Despite the Ontario Review Board, which is the, you know, if if they decided he was not likely to reoffend, that he had been rehabilitated, you know, they they would have the ability to move him on his way to reintegration with society. They didn't. Just this past May, they said he's likely to reoffend. And yet somebody at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health deemed him a low risk and gave him a day pass. When he got the day pass, July the 3rd, he went to, we believe, Pearson Airport and flew to China. Now, they won't confirm that. There's a lot of things officials will not say on this. And they've cited privacy and a whole pile of different reasons for why they can't talk. One of the most astonishing things to me, though, Dave, is that the public wasn't notified until July 14th. Wow. So have we been given any kind of idea as to why he would have been granted a day pass? Like, what is it? Where was he allowed to go? What was it that he was allowed to go and do? And why they felt it would be a safe thing to let him out into the community? Uh, Cam H has not been very forthcoming with answers. So, um, you know, you can ask me a whole pile of questions about uh, uh, Mr. Kong and why certain things happened. And my response will over and over again be, we don't know. In fact, it'll, you know, to, to use a dated pop culture reference, it'll be like that Rob Lowe and Jim Belushi movie from years ago about last night, where Jim Belushi's just telling a story and every question Rob Lowe asks, he just says, at this point, we don't know. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at with this story. And it's very frustrating because this is a serious issue. And it has bothered the community. And, you know, it started just as a a Toronto story. Mm -hmm. And it started to go wider and wider and wider. And people are understandably upset. And yet nobody's taking responsibility and nobody's giving full answers, including on why he was allowed to, to have a day pass. Why did the Center for Addiction and Mental Health deem Zhebin Kong a low risk when the Ontario Review Board, the people who are actually in charge of determining such things, called him likely to reoffend. Why did they think someone that the ORB said is likely to reoffend, meaning kill again, was a low risk? I, you know, and, and so far, we're just not getting answers. So he escaped while on a day pass just after Canada Day on July 3rd. They think he left the country that day. How would you have gone about getting a plane ticket and how would he someone who has been essentially imprisoned or in a in a mental health facility for 5 years after killing somebody how would he he have had the means to buy a plane ticket and flee the country well one of the questions that's being asked and that includes by Ontario Premier Doug Ford who thank goodness yesterday went out and did a, a an interview on talk radio and it was kind of you know to use another uh, dated pop culture reference, he was mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. And he's demanding answers. <laughs> and he he has written to the Toronto Police Service demanding answers, to CAMH, to the federal government, but because nobody seemed to be taking this seriously. Uh, then yesterday, after uh, the premier you know blew up, there was a, a news conference uh, with the police chief here in Toronto, and and he was speculating he says they don't know. They need to investigate. Did he have help? And the premier speculated that he may have had help. I mean, he he needed to find the money somewhere. He needed to find the passport. Was he using a Canadian passport? Was he using a Chinese passport? Back to the movie quote, at this point, we don't know. And regardless of which passport he was on, unless he was traveling under a fake name, at which point he definitely had help to get a, a falsified passport. Um, 
How was he not flagged? Mm-hmm. How is a guy that murdered his roommate with a meat cleaver not on a no-fly list? We, we've got a quasi-answer from the Minister of Public Safety's office, but even that isn't overly forthcoming. Now, have they said, here he is, we see him on video, we see him at the terminal boarding a plane that day? Have they been that forthcoming with information? No, unless something has changed in the last hour or so. It is speculation that he's in China. Uh, the speculation brought about by the fact that, uh, according to uh, reports by people like my colleague Joe Warmington at The Sun and others, that this guy was talking to his therapists all the time saying, uh, I want to go back to China. No, don't get me English lessons. I don't need English lessons. I want to go back to China and see my mother. Always talking about going back to China. And you didn't think that might be a risk on a day pass? So... They haven't said that we saw him. There's a lot of speculation that neither police nor other officials will confirm. I mean, the feds won't even confirm that uh, Khan's case at all. I'm just reading over the statement from uh, Zara Malik, who's spokesperson for Public Safety Canada. And she says, for security reasons, the government of Canada does not discuss individual cases with respect to the secure air travel list, nor the specific details of the nominating criteria for the program. So we don't know if he was flagged by this Passenger Protect Program, which allows the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency uh, Preparedness the authority to list individuals if there are reasonable grounds to suspect they will engage or attempt to engage in an act that would threaten transportation security or are traveling by air for the purpose of committing an act or uh, omission related to terrorism, such as terrorist attacks, you know, and it goes on. Well, I don't think anyone believes he's out to commit a terrorist act, but would you want to be sitting next to this guy on the plane? Yeah. Probably not. I mean, it, it, it brings to mind uh, uh, memories of is it Vincent Lee on the, the bus. The, on the, the Greyhound, Greyhound bus, yeah. Uh, nobody wants to be sitting next to that guy. Nobody wants to be sitting next to Kong either. And so they can't even say if he would have been cleared by this, but other statements have uh, basically said that not criminally responsible people are not flagged. So unless there was a Canada-wide warrant issued for his arrest, they may may have just let him breeze on through because they wouldn't have known. Why wasn't there a Canada-wide warrant issued for his arrest on July the 3rd? Toronto police aren't saying anything at this point. Now we get into that 11-day window from the day he was on a day pass and didn't return and the day that the public was notified. Why was it that the public wasn't notified that there was a killer who was on a day pass who was deemed a risk to reoffend was away why weren't they notified and also why wasn't a warrant issued period have police said that at all or or was there a warrant that they just didn't tell anybody about no no there wasn't a warrant and uh, even their initial press release from the Toronto Police Service which was just put out on July the 14th so this past Monday night it was described as a missing person they didn't even allude to his dangerous past. In the initial response from the police and from others is, oh, well, we have to respect his privacy. No, no, you don't. <laughs> when you've chopped up your roommate with a meat cleaver and you know been found to have done so by a court of law, cr- not criminally responsible or guilty, whatever the case may be, 
you give up certain rights, including the right to privacy, when you escape. Mm-hmm. But I asked uh, Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders yesterday uh, and Solicitor General for Ontario, uh, Sylvia Jones, should we be treating these people as escapees and not as missing persons? It's an interesting dust-up between myself and the police chief that you can see at uh, torontosun.com attached to my column, uh, because he did not like that question. He then proceeded to lecture me about um, not understanding the not criminally responsible uh, portion of the law, that we live in a democracy and we can't just do these things. Yeah, we can. Uh, We can treat people that escape as escapees, but the police are, understandably, feeling a lot of pressure because the public is angry about this. They're angry that they weren't told for 11 days. They're angry that the initial response of authorities at all levels was to protect this guy's privacy, not protect public safety. So they're under a lot of pressure. And unfortunately, they're still not giving answers. They won't answer basic questions. They won't confirm information that is out there. Uh, But, you know, don't worry. When police need help in finding someone, the first place they're going to run is to the media and ask us for help. Mm -hmm. Well, we're here talking on behalf of the general public that's worried. Can you give us information? It it seems to be a one-way street, apparently. Well, that is a frustrating thing that media has to deal with. And I don't always know if the public has a good grasp of that back and forth is routinely the police come to the media and say, we need help solving this crime. Here's a photo of this person. This person, even even when they put out a warrant, they're hoping that the media will disseminate information. But do you feel that that relationship gets damaged when you have a situation like this, where you have a person who has been found to have killed someone in a very violent fashion, who's loose, and they don't tell people about it? I absolutely think it it damages it, and and look, I, I write for a pro cop paper. Um, that's that's not a surprise to anyone that the Toronto Sun is a pro cop paper, but it starts to wear on you. It's not this is not unique to uh, Toronto Police Service. I'm, I'm sure you deal with the same thing in, in Edmonton. I've dealt with it in Ottawa, mm-hmm. other cities that I've worked in, uh, like Montreal. These sorts of things happen, and and it becomes a frustration. This frustration has gone well beyond the media, though, because this is an issue that strikes a chord with the public. you got a killer walking around, and you're not telling us? Mm -hmm. That is fundamentally wrong. Now, what's the political fallout to all this being? I mean, you have the premier who says he's mad as hell. You have the Toronto police chief who's defending the decision not to release information to the public. What about the federal government? What about the mayor of Toronto? Like, how is this being communicated to people and what is the fallout here? Well, Toronto Mayor John Tory initially wasn't calling for an inquiry. Now he wants the province to call an inquiry into what happened. It'd be difficult for the province to call an inquiry and get to the bottom of all of this because while they have control to a degree over CAMH because it is a public hospital and they fund it, they don't have direct control over the Toronto Police Service. They have zero control over the federal government. You know, I'm a political journalist, Dave. I regularly slam politicians for failures. I I can't slam Mayor John Tory on this. I can't slam Premier Doug Ford. I can't slam Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. This is not a failure on their parts. Mm -hmm. But at each level of government, from the municipal police service to the provincially uh, mandated and funded hospital to the federal security services at our airports, there were failures, big failures at each level. 
I don't think that you would get much in the way of cooperation between the Trudeau government and the Ford government if the Ford government tried to find out what went down with uh, the security services. But obviously, all three levels have to to figure this out. And you know, I was saying to a colleague earlier today, uh, you know, on the federal side, if no one had thought we should be putting not criminally responsible people, violent ones, on the no fly list, maybe it's because the idea never struck anyone because it's never happened. But maybe now's a good time to say, all right, we're going to do this. This needs to be done. I, I think it's the right thing to do. I think that's the way it should head. But, you know, different organizations made mistakes. We need to learn from them. I, I'm always wary of the, the phrase, make sure this never happens again, because you can't in most of these cases, but you can at least try. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to try and figure out and learn from this. Uh, it's just a question of whether uh, each level of government, each organization is willing to look at their own mistakes, or are they just willing to turn around and lay blame with others? Now, assuming that as suspected, Kong has fled the country and is in China, is there a chance he'll ever, we'll ever get him back to put him back in a hospital or what, like what happens now? Well, we don't have an extradition treaty with China. Uh, this is something that China's wanted for a long time and successive governments in Canada, uh, both the Trudeau government currently, the Harper government before them. Uh, and, and I think that's about as far back as it goes. It, I think about a decade or so China's been pushing for this. Um, the federal government has just said no. As, as much as I will critique Justin Trudeau trying to be too cozy with China, being uh, too close to the regime in Beijing at times when he shouldn't. I mean, I mean that's definitely cooled off now, but he has in the past. He's never gone down the road of saying, let's have an extradition treaty with China, because we know what happens to people that go to prison in China. Very bad things happen, things that we do not agree with. Mm-hmm. So China wants it so that anybody that is a dissident to them that flees to Canada, they can get back. That's part of why we've said no. Yeah. It's unlikely that they would willingly want to give this guy up because they might want to use it as pressure to say, see, we need an extradition treaty. So if he did go back to China and he's back in his hometown to see his mother, there's a good chance he'll stay there. As long as he's not here, I'm not sure how unhappy I am with that. Let the Chinese authorities deal with it, perhaps, instead of... uh, instead of us. But whether he comes back or not, we've got to learn the lessons of how this guy was able to get out, how he was able to escape and and take steps to to try and stop it from happening again. Exactly. All of those important questions. Uh, Brian, thanks for your time. Thank you, Dave. Like what you heard today? Get more of the National Post's award-winning journalism complimentary for 30 days at nationalpost.com slash podcast. 10.3 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Thanks to my guest, Brian Lilly. More from him at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.